0: part one chapter eleven of life and times of frederick douglas by frederick douglas this librivox recording is in the public domain part one chapter eleven growing in knowledge i lived in the family of mr auld at baltimore seven years during which time as the almanac makers say of the weather my condition was variable the most interesting feature of my history here was my learning under somewhat marked disadvantages to read and write In attaining this knowledge I was compelled to resort to indirections by no means congenial to my nature, and which were really humiliating to my sense of candour and uprightness. My mistress, checked in her benevolent designs toward me, not only ceased instructing me herself, but set her face as a flint against my learning to read by any means. It is due to her to say, however, that she did not adopt this course in all its stringency at first she either thought it unnecessary or she lacked the depravity needed to make herself forget at once my human nature she was as i have said naturally a kind and tender-hearted woman and in the humanity of her heart and the simplicity of her mind she set out when i first went to live with her to treat me as she supposed one human being ought to treat another nature never intended that men and women should be either slaves or slaveholders and nothing but rigid training long persisted in can perfect the character of the one or the other. Mrs. Ald was singularly deficient in the qualities of a slaveholder. It was no easy matter for her to think or to feel that the curly-headed boy, who stood by her side, and even leaned on her lap, who was loved by little Tommy, and who loved little Tommy in turn, sustained to her only the relation of a chattel. I was more than that. She felt me to be more than that. I could talk and sing, I could laugh and weep, I could reason and remember, I could love and hate. I was human, and she, dear lady, knew and felt me to be so. How could she then treat me as a brute, without a mighty struggle with all the noblest powers of her soul? That struggle came, and the will and power of the husband were victorious. Her noble soul was overcome, and he who wrought the wrong was injured in the fall no less than the rest of the household. When I went into that household, it was the abode of happiness and contentment. The wife and mistress there was a model of affection and tenderness. Her fervent piety and watchful uprightness made it impossible to see her, without thinking and feeling that, that woman is a Christian. There was no sorrow nor suffering for which she had not a tear, and there was no innocent joy for which she had not a smile she had bread for the hungry, clothes for the naked, and comfort for every mourner who came within her reach. But slavery soon proved its ability to divest her of these excellent qualities, and her home of its early happiness. Conscience cannot stand much violence. Once thoroughly injured, who is he who can repair the damage? If it be broken toward the slave on Sunday, it will be toward the master on Monday. It cannot long endure such shocks, It must stand unharmed, or it does not stand at all. As my condition in the family waxed bad, that of the family waxed no better. The first step in the wrong direction was the violence done to nature and to conscience in arresting the benevolence that would have enlightened my young mind. In ceasing to instruct me, my mistress had to seek to justify herself to herself. And once consenting to take sides in such a debate, she was compelled to hold her position one needs little knowledge of moral philosophy to see where she inevitably landed she finally became even more violent in her opposition to my learning to read than was mr auld himself nothing now appeared to make her more angry than seeing me seated in some nook or corner quietly reading a book or newspaper She would rush at me with the utmost fury, and snatch the book or paper from my hand, with something of the wrath and consternation which a traitor might be supposed to feel on being discovered in a plot by some dangerous spy. The conviction once thoroughly established in her mind, that education and slavery were incompatible with each other. I was most narrowly watched in all my movements if i remained in a separate room from the family for any considerable length of time i was sure to be suspected of having a book and was at once called to give an account of myself but this was too late the first and never to be retracted step had been taken teaching me the alphabet had been the inch given i was now waiting only for the opportunity to take the l Filled with the determination to learn to read at any cost, I hit upon many expedients to accomplish that much-desired end. The plan which I mainly adopted, and the one which was the most successful, was that of using as teachers my young white playmates, with whom I met on the streets. I used almost constantly to carry a copy of Webster's spelling book in my pocket, and when sent of errands or when playtime was allowed me, I would step aside with my young friends and take a lesson in spelling i am greatly indebted to these boys gustavus dorgan joseph bailey charles faraday and william cosdry although slavery was a delicate subject and in maryland very cautiously talked about among grown-up people i frequently talked with the white boys about it and that very freely i would sometimes say to them while seated on a curbstone or a cellar door i wish i could be free as you will be when you get to be men you will be free you know as soon as you are twenty-one and can go where you like but i'm a slave for life have i not as good a right to be free as you have words like these i observed always troubled them and i had no small satisfaction in drawing out from them as i occasionally did that fresh and bitter condemnation of slavery which ever springs from natures unseared and unperverted of all consciences, let me have those to deal with which have not been seared and bewildered with the cares and perplexities of life. I do not remember ever, while I was in slavery, to have met with a boy who defended the system. But I do remember many times when I was consoled by them, and by them encouraged to hope that something would yet occur by which I would be made free. Over and over again they have told me that they believed I had as good a right to be free as they had and that they did not believe god ever made any one to be a slave it is easily seen that such little conversations with my playfellows had no tendency to weaken my love of liberty nor to render me contented as a slave when i was about thirteen years old and had succeeded in learning to read every increase of knowledge especially anything respecting the free states was an additional weight to the almost intolerable burden of my thought i am a slave for life to my bondage i could see no end it was a terrible reality and i shall never be able to tell how sadly that thought chafed my young spirit fortunately or unfortunately i had by blacking boots for some gentlemen earned a little money with which i purchased of mr knight on thames street what was then a very popular school book viz the columbian orator for which i paid fifty cents i was led to buy this book by hearing some little boys say that they were going to learn some pieces out of it for the exhibition this volume was indeed a rich treasure and for a time every opportunity afforded me was spent in diligently perusing it among much other interesting matter that which i read again and again with unflagging satisfaction was a short dialogue between a master and his slave the slave is represented as having been recaptured in a second attempt to run away And the master opens the dialogue with an upbraiding speech, charging the slave with ingratitude, and demanding to know what he has to say in his own defence. Thus upbraided and thus called upon to reply, the slave rejoins that he knows how little anything that he can say will avail, seeing that he is completely in the hands of his owner, and with noble resolution calmly says, I submit to my fate. Touched by the slave's answer, the master insists upon his further speaking, and recapitulates the many acts of kindness which he has performed toward the slave, and tells him he is permitted to speak for himself. Thus invited, the quondam slave made a spirited defense of himself, and thereafter the whole argument for and against slavery is brought out. The master was vanquished at every turn in the argument, and appreciating the fact, he generously and meekly emancipates the slave, WITH HIS BEST WISHES FOR HIS PROSPERITY. It is unnecessary to say that a dialogue with such an origin and such an end, read by me when every nerve of my being was in revolt at my own condition as a slave, affected me most powerfully. I could not help feeling that the day might yet come when the well-directed answers made by the slave to the master, in this instance, would find a counterpart in my own experience. This, however, was not all the fanaticism which I found in the Columbian orator. I met there one of Sheridan's mighty speeches on the subject of Catholic emancipation, Lord Chatham's speech on the American War, and speeches by the great William Pitt, and by Fox. These were all choice documents to me, and I read them over and over again, with an interest ever increasing, because it was ever gaining in intelligence. For the more I read them, the better I understood them. The reading of these speeches added much to my limited stock of language, and enabled me to give tongue to many interesting thoughts which had often flashed through my mind and died away for want of words in which to give them utterance. The mighty power and heart-searching directness of truth, penetrating the heart of a slaveholder, and compelling him to yield up his earthly interests to the claims of eternal justice, were finely illustrated in the dialogue and from the speeches of sheridan i got a bold and powerful denunciation of oppression and a most brilliant vindication of the rights of man here was indeed a noble acquisition if i had ever wavered under the consideration that the almighty in some way had ordained slavery and willed my enslavement for his own glory i wavered no longer I had now penetrated to the secret of all slavery and of all oppression and had ascertained their true foundation to be in the pride the power and the avarice of man with a book in my hand so redolent of the principles of liberty and with a perception of my own human nature and of the facts of my past and present experience i was equal to a contest with the religious advocates of slavery whether white or black for blindness in this matter was not confined to the white people I have met, at the South, many good religious coloured people, who were under the delusion that God required them to submit to slavery, and to wear their chains with meekness and humility. I could entertain no such nonsense as this, and I quite lost my patience when I found a coloured man weak enough to believe such stuff. Nevertheless, eager as I was to partake of the tree of knowledge, its fruits were bitter as well as sweet slaveholders thought i are only a band of successful robbers who leaving their own homes went into africa for the purpose of stealing and reducing my people to slavery i loathed them as the meanest and the most wicked of men and as i read behold the very discontent so graphically predicted by master hugh had already come upon me i was no longer the light-hearted gleesome boy full of mirth and play that i was when i landed in baltimore light had penetrated the moral dungeon where i had lain and i saw the bloody whip for my back and the iron chain for my feet and my good kind master was the author of my situation the revelation haunted me stung me and made me gloomy and miserable as i writhed under the sting and torment of this knowledge i almost envied my fellow-slaves their stupid indifference It opened my eyes to the horrible pit, and revealed the teeth of the frightful dragon that was ready to pounce upon me. But alas, it opened no way for my escape. I wished myself a beast, a bird, anything, rather than a slave. I was wretched and gloomy beyond my ability to describe. This everlasting thinking distressed and tormented me, and yet there was no getting rid of this subject of my thoughts. Liberty, as the inestimable birthright of every man, converted every object into an asserter of this right. I heard it in every sound, and saw it in every object. It was ever-present to torment me with a sense of my wretchedness. The more beautiful and charming were the smiles of nature, the more horrible and desolate was my condition. I saw nothing without seeing it, and I heard nothing without hearing it. I do not exaggerate when I say that it looked at me in every star, smiled in every calm, breathed in every wind, and moved in every storm. I have no doubt that my state of mind had something to do with the change in treatment which my mistress adopted towards me. I can easily believe that my leaden, downcast, and disconsolate look was very offensive to her. Poor lady! She did not understand my trouble, and I could not tell her could i have made her acquainted with the real state of my mind and given her the reasons therefor it might have been well for both of us as it was her abuse fell upon me like the blows of the false prophet upon his ass she did not know that an angel stood in the way nature made us friends but slavery had made us enemies my interests were in a direct opposition to hers and we both had our private thoughts and plans she aimed to keep me ignorant and i resolved to know although knowledge only increased my misery my feelings were not the result of any marked cruelty in the treatment i received they sprung from the consideration of my being a slave at all it was slavery not its mere incidents that i hated i had been cheated i saw through the attempt to keep me in ignorance i saw that slaveholders would have gladly made me believe that in making a slave of me and in making slaves of others they were merely acting under the authority of god and i felt to them as to robbers and deceivers the feeding and clothing me well could not atone for taking my liberty from me the smiles of my mistress could not remove the deep sorrow that dwelt in my young bosom indeed these came in time but to deepen my sorrow she had changed and the reader will see that I too had changed we were both victims to the same overshadowing evil she as mistress, I as slave. I will not censure her harshly End of chapter 11.